for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. If you have a Bible, um, we're now looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, following on from Richard's excellent start on this series. You ever seen that uh, TV program, Location, Location, Location? Yeah. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I loathe it. Um, um, Kirsty Alsop with two Ps and Phil Spencer, these are the experts that say that the three most important factors in determining the desirability of a property are location, location, and location. Now, reading 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it's context. Context and context. To understand it, you've got to understand the context of what Paul was writing. Originally, chapters, uh, divisions in the Bible, they weren't there. Paul's letter was just one letter, and it was only um, developed by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langton. Um, in AD 1227, he began to shape the chapters in the form that we have them today. So there wasn't that chapter division in Paul's original letter. Now the context was he was seeking to address the unchristlike thinking or futile um, or the futile worldly thinking and unchristlike behavior futile worldly behavior in a church that was meant to be there for his praise and his glory and being a light and a hope to the people of Corinth. So he saw something coming in, and he was going for the root cause of it. Because they were meant to be a light to the nations, but they, they got so, they'd allowed the world's thinking to dominate how you should do things in church. He had, to, he had reminded them from the outset who they were and to what they were called, the called out ones. We, Richard talked last week about being holy. Being holy is to be fully set apart. And that's a process. We, 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 to align um, God's thinking with us, he wants us fully set apart, and that's a journey. Okay, so for you to be like Jesus, you're on a journey, but Jesus was holy. If you'd been holy, you fully align yourself with God's will for your life. And they were not to allow the world's values and thinking to permeate church life. You got that? That's what was happening there in this very cosmopolitan city. I know of a church incident where this lady, she gave a prophetic word at a church. Uh, she saw a picture. This is true. <laughs> I know the church. Um, she saw a picture of, of all these sailboats on this lake. And... Um, each boat was beginning to let in water through a hole in, in, in the boats. And, and, and she went on, I think wrongly, to, to give the interpretation herself. And she, she said, or the application rather, she, but she said in the interpretation that it's, all, all the boats represent the people in the church and, and the sea is worldliness. And the boats are letting on water and worldliness is seeping through the holes in the bottom of the boat. 
And then she said, I suggest that all of us go home and examine the holes in our bottom. (laughs) I kid you not. (laughs) I know the church leaders concerned. They all fell out about laughing and that was the end of the meeting. That was the best way to handle the application from that. (laughs) But Paul's diagnosis wasn't so funny. Um, The church which was meant to take its message out into the world, but the world's message has been taken into the church. It was all getting pretty grubby. Disputes, that's what Paul had had the reports from Chloe's household. People standing on hum- their own human rights, taking legal advice to resolve conflicts between brothers, super-spirituality, Judging leaders, Paul obviously didn't rate very high in the comparison stakes to other leaders being more shiny and polished, the super apostles. He said, I came amongst you with fear and trembling, stuttering. Sexual promiscuity, pride, selfishness. Stop! Paul's saying, stop! Stop! This is not what you were called out from and to do. What was Paul's prescription for the malady that he saw emerging in the Corinthian church? It's simply this. Look at Jesus. And not only that, look at Jesus crucified. That is is the medicine that he wanted to be applied at the Corinthian church. And so we read in in 1 Corinthians 2, And when I came to you, brothers... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. This is the key verse. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, For if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen or no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. This is deep stuff, church. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, here's another key verse. Now we have not received the spirit of the world. Is he speaking to those who have been born again? You have not received the spirit of the world. But the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, 
but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So, what Paul is saying here, there are two wisdoms. There's a worldly wisdom out there, and there's a, 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 a wisdom from heaven that's been revealed by revelation. And the challenge, Corinthians, you've got to decide which wisdom you're going to drink from and live in and work through and out into society and in your marriages, your relationships, church, office, wherever, school. There is a wisdom, there is a way that seems right to a man, but ends in desolation. So the Corinthians were having to decide what's going to, what's going to be the, the chief thing that, uh, that shapes you in your thinking. Rick Warren helpfully states, the spirit of the world says, the world revolves around you. No, it doesn't. You are very special in God's eyes. And you were created for purpose, but the world does not revolve around you. If you want to know how much you'll be missed, stick your hand in a bucket of water and pull it out and to see what kind of hole you leave. It fills up pretty quick. The spirit of the world says, buy this product, you deserve it. We are taught that we are the supreme value of life. That's the world's wisdom. God promised that when you focus on meeting the needs of other people, he will meet your needs. Why? Because he wants you to learn to be unselfish. He wants you to learn to be loving and generous like him. Part of being considerate of other people's needs is making allowances for their faults and not expecting them to be perfect. And if you want a verse, Colossians 3.13. You're not perfect, so why should you demand it on anybody else? That's cross-shaped thinking. Paul continues in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I just want you to note how many times Paul in his letters repeats these phrases, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. Why? Because we can be ignorant. The psalmist said, don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which will be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. That's in Psalm 32, 9. And Paul goes back on, verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so to instruct him? Now, this is a verse. But we have the mind of Christ. Have you got that? We have the mind of Christ. The world doesn't have the mind of Christ, but we have the mind of Christ. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he expects you to begin thinking like him, how he, how he thinks. Well, how do you know what Jesus thinks? Well, that's the beauty of the Gospels. Um, there's a, a, I just love that picture, don't you, of a, that, that woman just being wrapped around with te- texts, of the, it's parts of the, the scriptures, do we need to just wrap ourselves in God's word? You know, um, I read the Bible every day. I, I just want to get to know it because it's God's living word. And 
When you read about Jesus, you understand how he operated, how he thought. When Jesus calls you, he expects you to be thinking like him. For those new Christians amongst you, and it's such a joy, such a joy to have you with us. Read the Gospels, read about Jesus, read how he, how he handles situations, because that's the mind that he wants us to have, to be like him in all things. As you walk with him day in and day out, you'll become intimate with his likes and dislikes. You will see what he sees and hear what he hears. You will know what he cares about and you will know what he considers insignificant by looking at his life, petty or distracting. You will witness how he responds to problems, criticism, truth, exhaustion, excitement, expectations and disappointments, hunger, poverty, love, laughter, accusations, manipulation, sorrow, sin, tension, distrust, redemption, rejection, legalism, ritual, religion, hypocrisy, happiness and joy. Jesus walked in in this world handling all that stuff. And so when we look at his life, we can see how he responded to it. And the Corinthians were being told by Paul, hey, you have the mind of Christ. You have that capacity to be like Jesus. Don't choose the world's wisdoms of resolving conflict and taking one another to court. Don't do that. That's not, that's not the way. The wisdom that we have is from God. It's peaceable. I don't know what books you read in the summer. I... I I'm not a big novel reader, but I, I like to read Jack Reacher. That's the one thing that will get me going. I'm just, and you know, I always want to look at the end of the story to see what happens, and I can read it until it's going to be okay. You know? And uh, if you do that in Paul's second letter, um, as the Bible um, has it chronologically laid out, in 2, in 2 Corinthians 12.20, at the end of his second letter, there are other letters knocking around, but it, but it said this, I fear, this is Paul, I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. And we know that those sort of things happen in offices and warehouses, up and down the UK, in marriages, in relationships. It's just that's the way of the world. We're damaged people, and Jesus needs to fit us back together. Proverbs 17.9 says this, Love forgets mistakes. You can always say that to the Corinthians, couldn't you? Love forgets mistakes. When you are trying to make a connection with someone, you don't have to be blind to that person's faults. Um, one of the problems we know... Um, Particularly some single, I'm going to say it, some single men, Christian men, they want to have the perfect wife. There's no such thing as a perfect wife. And the older you get, the more perfect you want. It does, it's not there, okay? There's no perfect person. He's ascended in heaven. All the rest of us are all works in progress. So don't look, look for the perfect partner. You're not going to find one. But 
Proverbs 19 says, love forgets mistakes. When you are trying to make a connection with someone, you don't have to be blind to that person's faults. You just choose to overlook them because love covers a multitude, (laughs) a multitude of sins. Great friends are good forgetters. They don't rub it in, they rub it out. They're more concerned with the other person's needs. Sin not only separates us from God, it separates us from one another. When Adam and Eve rebelled, it, it, was not only, it not only disconnected them from God, it disconnected them from one another. You can't have that kind of intimacy with God who wants you to have that with your spouse without having intimacy with God first. If you want intimacy within your marriage, you've both got to be connected to God. As Christians. When you're disconnected from God, there's no way you're going to be fully connected with the way God meant for you to be as husband and wife. Paul lays out a challenge at the end of his second epistle. He said this, Exam- this is harsh, but necessary. Examine yourselves to see whether you're of the faith. Corinthians, test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? (laughs) That's what he's really saying. Look, you've got to realise Jesus is in you. Unless you fail to meet the test. What Paul was saying here was asking them to take a step back and realign their thinking and behaviour. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance... And disorder should not be the hallmark of church life. The spirit-filled life is rooted in being a cross-centred community. Paul sought to focus the believers to grasp afresh the basis for healthy interpersonal relationships. Jesus. He's saying, look at Jesus and him crucified. That's going to be my medicine for you. It's Christ crucified amongst you. So let's just look at for a moment for Jesus crucified. He was betrayed by Judas, judged behind his back, but he loved and let go. He was wrongly accused. He didn't retaliate. When you're accused in the office or in a school staff room, Do you want to function by world's wisdom or God's wisdom? You don't retaliate. He was deserted, but he kept communing with the Father. He was brought to judgment. He didn't counter sue. Rather, he left it with heaven's court to vindicate. He was abused. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He forgave from the cross. That's God-centred thinking. He misunderstood. He bore it quietly. Yet enduring the cursing, he blessed. In suffering, he forgave. Rather than thinking of himself, he kept on loving those who rejected him. That is the mind of Christ. And Paul saying, church, Corinthian church, understand this. Understand it. Understand it. This is the way that you'll win through and keep the main thing the main thing. 
crucified in weakness, oh, but lift by the power of God. That's it. Well, we want the power of God, don't we? Don't we want the power of God? We can't have the power of God without the cross-centered community. It's not going to happen. But the Corinthians wanted the power without the cross. They had all the gifts, I tell you, they were smoking. But they were devouring one another. May it never be said of this church as we move forward in power. We'll see the power more as we embrace the cross more. As Paul recalled the church, sorry, as Paul recalled what Corinth was like from his memory, having been there for 18 months during his first visit, you can see it in Acts 18. He knew that for the church to be really impact this city, it could only be successful in its mission through the power of God. I believe that true of this place. I really do. If we're going to see real change take place, we're going to need to start moving in the power of God. That breaks. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. A healthy church community can only be spirit-filled community when it's rooted and relates to the cross-centred community. This week, there's been a couple of incidences. Um, we have one of the privileges of leadership. You see things behind the scenes. I'm humbled by this church. Uh, there's, uh, there's a couple of pastoral situations where we've seen people choose to reject the world's wisdom of handling problems and embrace the cross because, because I'm a Christian. It's breathtaking to see that in a local church, preferring one another in love, doing it God's way, not flying off the handle. This is how the Corinthians really should have been working to resolve their difficulties. You see, we have an enemy. Excuse me. We do have an enemy. We're not fighting flesh and blood. When the person next to you really rubs you up the wrong way, look at the person next to you. When they rub you up the wrong way and you have an argument, you need to remember, Terry, you're not fighting flesh and blood. (laughs) Only joking. We're fighting principalities and powers. Because of the nature of the church, it's a supernatural. Church is supernatural. Not the building, the people. That's what the, it was supernatural. Satan hates the church. He is diabolic. And Satan seeks to thwart the advance of the kingdom of God. And he was seeking to divert the Corinthians from impacting Corinth by just sowing things in. Dire. I've preached on this before. Bolic. Bolos is a Greek, the Greek word for, 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 for to throw is bolos. Throw and divide. Diabolos. Diabolos. Diabolic. The enemy. Watch it. Watch it. Watch out for it. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says this, because we wanted to come to you, I Paul again and again, but Satan hindered us. Wow, even the Apostle Paul is saying Satan hindered It's a battle. It's all we pray. Charles Spurgeon, preaching on this text, resounded out, if we toil in the field, Satan seeks to break the plough. <laughs> if we build the walls, he labours to cast down the stones. If we would serve God in suffering or in conflict, Satan hinders 
There's everywhere. I love this verse, though. But thanks be to God who always gives us a victory. We, um, we went to um, Fran's camping this year. And I went into this little cafe, um, what they call it, um, not a cheek, a cheek, a cheek. Um, no, it's one of the, they have fancy coloured sofas. Um, um, they have it outside, didn't they? There were sofas outside. Chase yeah, chaise longs. And uh, we were daft enough to sit on these fluorescent pink chaise longs in the middle of the street drinking French coffee. Very nice. And I went to the loo and, um, in, inside and I, I was just struck by... I can't believe it. They're projecting, because um, what they do... Not in the loo. Not in the loo. No, in, in the main... In this, uh, no, that would have been scary, what I'm going to tell you. But, yeah, as you go through the loo, it's like a, a bar area. And they're projecting, full size, a bullfight. And it's at it's eye level. And I'm there. Sue thought I died in the toilet. So, <laughs> I was there about 15 minutes watching, watching this thing. And um, it was... Uh, you saw the matador... And um, I was going to dress up, but Sue said, don't be daft. So <laughs> this matador, and, and the ball comes into the ring, and uh, you've got the picadors on, on the horse with the, um, they have the padded horses, don't they? They have these, um, not the pedlos, that's something else. That's a, um, but the picador, and um, help me the Spanish friends, um, they have these other guys with little flag spears, don't they? And, they, and, the, the, and the matador's standing back, He's letting do, these others do the work. So this bull comes in, and the matador didn't take the bull on because the bull's too strong for him. But the, he knows he's got to weaken the bull before he finishes him off. So there's a number of incidents. It's a drama, isn't it? It's the, 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 and so bit by bit, the bull's just charging, and he's going for the horse. And the picador... Um, I've got that right, pick a door on the horse, yeah? And they throw the lance in at, at, at the tough spot behind his neck. And blood starts coming out. I don't agree with it, but I did. I, I got honest. I felt God prod me, say, I want you to watch this. And then, so the pick a door's clear off. Then these other, other um, um, little men in their outfits, they dance around and then they, they, they put these other little swords in, um, spears in. And the blood's, the blood's coming out more and more. Then the matador, he's watching to see how the bull, if he's got any blind spots. This is what it is. I've read it on Wikipedia. <laughs> if he's got any blind spots, and to see if there's any weaknesses and how he turns. And he's sizing the bull up. And he gets this um, red, red cloth, and in it there's a, a sword. And the bull now, he's just hungry. He's just going to have whatever comes in front of him, but he's weakening. Because that's been the matador's plan. And the bull is just enraged. I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. And the matador just... And the crowd go... Olé. Hey, ole! Yeah, ta-da! I'm not asking you to enjoy bullfighting. And bit by bit, the bull is being weakened as blood comes out. Then, unknown to the bull, the matador, I'm at eye level with this guy. I, am, I was right there, and, he, and he's sneering. So proud. 
and the ball just comes to one final position and he goes, the coup de grace. And he, he plunges the sword into the ball. And I said, Father, why do you want me to watch this? Um, he said, I want you to look at the sneering on the matador's face. The arrogance and the scheming of the matador to weaken the bull. And in that moment, I saw that typified how Satan weakens believers. He didn't take them on because you're dangerous. But he will allow certain circumstances to come into your life and if you fall for them, you get weakened. And it's the enemy's aim to get you so weak, he takes you out. But I thank God who gives us a victory. But the bull was so, he let his anger be the determining factor. <clears throat> thank God who gives us a victory because God can raise the dead. God can raise the dead. Be aware. And Paul goes on in Philippians 2, 11, um, 2 verses 1 to 11. This is a fantastic part of the, gospel, um, the New Testament. Paul here is writing to another church, but the same principle applies. I just want to read it to you. So, if there is any encouragement, Philippians 2 verses 1 to 11, if there is any encouragement in Jesus Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Whoa! You've got supernatural wisdom, not of this world. It is not of this world. Turn the other cheek. That's not of this world. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In his excellent book, um, How People Grow, by Henry Cloud and John Townsend, commenting, commenting upon Philippians 2, he said this, when we become a servant and take the obedient position, we grow by getting smaller. We ascend by descending. Like Jesus, we overcome evil with good. If you've got a real situation at work you overcome it with good are you going to own this way of living in your relationships, in your marriages at work 
the Lord's servant, Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, should not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patient, enduring evil. That's the deal. <laughs> That's the deal. But it's the only way it will change the world. Finally, keeping the gospel our main focus. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul concludes 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart these words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. It's all good to have techniques to learn how to share your faith. I'm fully behind that. But we need to hear what God is saying for people we're witnessing to. We need to learn. That's why I'm so thrilled about Becca and the team are teaching our children to hear God. Because if we can hear God, it's a huge weapon against the enemy. At the beginning, Adam and Eve, God, God, sorry, God of this world, Satan, he said to Adam and Eve, did God really say? The issue is, are you hearing God? So when we, if we are going to be a people, are going to be really powerful in witnessing this next season by hearing God for individual circumstances. What you and Roy and Viv shared last week at the church family meeting, fantastic, fantastic. You heard God and there's breakthrough. Can I just say... Um, I'm going to say it anyway, so I'm not asking you permission on this one. <laughs> the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what's the next part Jesus said? Love your neighbour as yourself. I want to say, grab hold of that church. Honestly, grab hold of it. You pray for your neighbours. You, you love yourselves. Right? You love God because you've found, found God. Pray for your neighbours to come to faith. Pray. What opportunities can, how you can serve your neighbours. Show Christ's love to your neighbours. Be kind to your neighbours. Love your neighbours as yourself. I think Jesus gave in that the best evangelistic strategy for anybody can have. It's got to start with our neighbours. Jesus said to the church, the early church at Jerusalem when it was first formed, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem where you live, Samaria, the next one out, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Trouble is, some people want to go to the uttermost parts of the world and not, they're not even witness to their neighbours. And that's the wrong way round. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And what Paul's concern was for Corinth is that Corinth needs to be, have Jesus flood it. And it's not going to be flooded if you aren't together in it. And you're not living in the wisdom of the cross. But if you are, Corinth, watch out. Corinth, watch out. Let's bow our heads in prayer.